you hear? Good. So I say, hello and welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Paul Leslie Hour. Oh, we have something very special for you today. This interview with singer, guitarist, and recording artist Peter Mayer was broadcast on radio back in 2009 and has not been heard since. So we're bringing it out of the archives to make it available to one and all. Peter Mayer is the most frequent guest throughout the 18-plus years of the Paul Leslie Hour, and he's just released an incredible new album on the Little Flock music label entitled Goodbye, Hello. Now, Peter Mayer's Goodbye, Hello record is one of the best interpretations of Beatles classics we've ever heard. That's why Paul E. Leslie had to sit down and talk to Peter face-to-face in order to talk about it. Uh, Speaking of talking, you know you can help us keep this talking on the air. Get more content like this out there and to the masses. You can do it. We've got a lot more content and our goal is to have everything up by spring of 2024. You can contribute simply by moving to www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. Now you may be thinking... But the most I can donate is $5 right now. Well, that actually covers one monthly expense that we have. So, we thank you for the $5, and we thank you for listening. (laughs) This interview with Peter Meyer was recorded at Smoke Rise Baptist Church in Stone Mountain, Georgia. And it's time that all of you heard it. Let's play the interview right now. On the sixth anniversary of our show, it is with great pleasure we welcome our special guest, Mr. Peter Mayer. He joins us to talk about his new album, Goodbye, Hello. It's a pleasure to be back, Paul, and uh, as I said before, thank you for all the the support. And sixth anniversary, I didn't know that. Six years of our show. Thank you very much. Who is Peter Mayer? My son did one of those high school poetry class introductions and he I, I saw it on my wife's wall in her office and said brendan mayer child of god etc you know etc etc and you know i think of that when you say that because probably the first thing i would say is child of the of god child of, of the creator i was uh, raised by a, kind of a, a pastor father and kind of a pastor mother and uh, always had a life within and without the church so i have to start with that it seems but music was really the most direct way that that life hit me. It just bowled me over. I had heard church music and then uh, the music of the classics, Beethoven and Bach, but also the Beatles uh, hit me. And I knew there was some connection with music. So I have to say, uh, child of God, musician, father, friend, you know, and on and on. I could use the, the descriptions. But I realized that going into this season, because I've had one of the most stressful years in my history, that's a truth. That music is the thing that gives me my barometer and sea level. Music gives me sea level. I, I always know where I am once I pick up a guitar or sing or hear music that moves me. It somehow writes me again. Can you tell us about the first time you heard the Beatles? Yeah, it was in Banyambadi, South India, Tamil Nadu district. And I, I turned on our 45 RPM record player and uh, Please Please Me came on blew me away and asked me why I was on the other side. So there was kind of a ballad and then a rock and roll song 
all in this black petroleum disc and and uh just I could not believe what came out of those uh, those four people you know and and then to lead on to uh, the early 60s and then mid 60s with Sgt. Peppers and and on and on it was just a musical journey that caught me if you could put it into words what do you like about the Beatles and their music they represented not only the abandon of rock and roll but they really did draw on history and had a, a great respect for history. I mean, you know, John with with rock and roll's brief history and Paul for the history of show tunes, you know, from the 40s. Honey pie, you are making me crazy. You know, that's all show tune stuff. John Lennon, you know, come together. That's rock and roll straight ahead. Um, George Harrison, with uh, you know, one of the more melodic soul, you know. Uh, but they had respect for tradition. So they, there was this beautiful combination of tradition abandon and then add into that their experimental side with saying we're really nothing unless we have a future to move toward and the future was what if we submerge this microphone in water <laughs> or what if we run the tape backwards or get a pipe organ to play on this one and, and of course george martin was a huge part of that so i guess what i love about the beatles is that they represented the three things to me which make a life of any kind and especially a musical life whole tradition reckless abandon and moving toward the future and experimentation, you know. Tell us about your first trip to Abbey Road. My first trip to Abbey Road was with my family. There was a big rainstorm. We were fighting. We were, we were going through a family fight, and um, I, was, so I was carrying my, my Cody guitar around because uh, I was determined to make the trip to Abbey Road and play something. And we got into a big fight over where we should eat lunch. You know, this is what families do. They, they don't fight over, well, maybe they do fight over the big stuff, but mostly it's where to eat lunch. And we got so mad, uh, or one of the members, yet to be unnamed, <laughs> uh, got so mad that we kind of stomped off for a while. So we went to a Starbucks, believe it or not, um, that was happened to be open. We got coffee and ate a ton of sweets, and that started to make us feel better. And the, the rain subsided a little bit, and we decided to make the, the run to Abbey Road. So we're all still in a snit. We walk down to Abbey Road, and we're kind of like, this is the intersection? This is it? It can't be it. But all of a sudden, we looked over and saw the lines on the road, walked over to that space, and I got out my guitar, and Brendan, my son, said, Dad, don't do it. This is embarrassing. And I was like, look, I'm in entertainment. My job is to be embarrassing. You know. He got out the video camera. I noticed that there was a strange group of people just going back and forth across Abbey Road, dressed in fairies outfits and, you know, elephant tusks and very strange looking people. So I asked them at one point, I'm going to play a song. Would you mind getting into my video? And they're like, oh, we're on a treasure hunt. We can't be a part of your video. And I said, would you please just sing along? And they're like, oh, okay. (laughs) So they got behind me and I sung, I sang Blackbird and I got that on video. So uh, I think that's on YouTube, but. It was a very unique experience. Just kind of hung there and got the vibe of that whole territory. You know, it being it, it was the the place where the Beatles recorded much of their great. Well, I don't. I want to say greatest, but much of their great music, and uh, also you know the album cover that we all know so well. Funniest part though is we kept trying to snap a perfect walking across the road picture, and my daughter could not get the shutter to go at the right time. So either I was walking the wrong direction, or cars were trying to run me over. Or it was quite an experience. We're joined by our special guest, Peter Mayer. He's talking about his album, Goodbye, Hello, which is 15 interpretations of classic songs by the Beatles. Given that these songs have been recorded and performed by so many artists, what inspired the various new interpretations of these songs? 
we played Beatles songs since we were 10 years old. So we'd learn them. And, and I never, one of my faults, you know, maybe you could call this a blessing or a curse, is that I never really learned songs exactly like they were done. Because I have friends who can play Fire and Rain verbatim, perfectly. But, but I just kind of got the gist, and then I would kind of make up my own way to play it. So very early on, I would play Beatles songs, and I'd kind of make up my own way to play it, sometimes which involved an extra few chords here and there. Well, later on in life, and when I was 18, I did a version with a guitar synthesizer uh, at one of my Webster recitals, Webster University recitals, of Blackbird. I used a special tuning and all that. And a friend of mine from St. Louis, Dan Rubright, called me one day and he said, you know, we're doing a series of a meeting of classical musicians and rock musicians or different, different walks. It's kind of like a crossroads, but it was called uh, Crossings, the Crossings concert series. And he said, would you do a concert on the Beatles? And I said, I would love to. So Jim, Dan, and myself started doing arrangements when we made about 10, 12 arrangements for the first concert. That's really what started the move toward putting the music down and not just saying, hey, I can make this cool chord on Fool on the Hill, you know. And after it was done, it actually was so successful that people started asking for the music on CD. And they said, why isn't this recorded? And it took us two or three years to, to begin that and then another five to finish it. But finally, this year, I was like, enough. It's got to get done, you know, or it's going to be lost forever. Is there any song on Goodbye, Hello that is a favorite recording on the album? I have to say, I really am close to the performance of Blackbird because it was the, really the first one that I took a chance on way back when I was 18, 19 years old and kind of gleaned that arrangement over the years. But I really love Michelle, too. I mean, you know, I, I'm going to, to some of the ballads and stuff, but I really, really, I love those only because I think that we took the, the beautiful music of the Beatles and we added a little something extra to it. And of course, it didn't make it any better, but it made it different enough. And I think that difference stands on its own two legs. And I'm hoping that people feel the same way out there. I wanted to just touch a little bit on the recording of Goodbye, Hello. In the process of recording the album, was there a moment in the process that stands out to you personally? Yeah, there's many. But I'm going to say one of the, the most enjoyable was just in terms of the chills it gave you was standing on stage at Toyota Park in Chicago with Jimmy Buffett, hearing him sing Rocky Raccoon and us singing it together. It was, it was really a rush, and it was one of those kind of pinch-me moments in that uh, it was really, really cool of Jimmy to say, I want to be on this Beatle album. I've got a Beatle gene in me somewhere. <laughs> and then I kept saying, hey, when do you want to do this? Do you want to get together in, in your hotel room and record a little something? Because we started with Yellow Submarine, and then it was going to be Baby, you can drive my car. And then it was going to be another song. And finally, I, I wrote him. I said, Jimmy, we're almost done with this CD. I understand if you don't want to do a song or if you can't, but if you would like to do one, it's probably probably the time now to do it. He said, well, why don't we do it live? Let's do it in Chicago. So we did about three versions of it. And that one was picked. Uh, it was the closest to what we want. So it, it was really, really a thrill to do it. And, and it's amazing. If you listen to this album, you'll notice a distinct change in spirit right there. You know, Jimmy carries a, a weather with him, you know, that is really uh, delightful, you know, sometimes. And it's and whether you like it or don't like it or feel this way or that way about it, you can't really deny it. He has a special something in the way that he entertains and makes people feel good. And it's, it's funny how suddenly Rocky Raccoon becomes this bar song, kind of like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you, you really want to listen to the story. Have you ever considered the possibility that Sir Paul McCartney or Mr. Ringo Starr could potentially hear these interpretations? And if so, how does that make you feel? 
I would be so honored, of course, if they heard him. On the liner notes, I said, you know, I would be surprised if people either don't really like this or really hate it. Because uh, some people think that the way the Beatles should be played is just the way the Beatles played them. And that's not what this album is. I hope to think that it retains the spirit of the song, but it also takes chances and goes to new directions. Again, I have no idea what Paul might say, but it's hard for me to think that he might at least be interested because Paul has always been the one in my head when I hear the Beatles, just that very melodic tone. And with, with the writer Fool on the Hill and Michelle and, my goodness, you know, just incredible songs that I'd be honored either way. Even, even he says, well, I, I like the original better, you know, which Paul probably would say. <laughs> but I'm, I'm hoping that he might hear some of the string arrangements and go, oh, that's kind of interesting. Well, knowing what the Beatles mean to you as a person and also as an artist, which song means the most to you, whether or not you recorded it or not? Oh, of the Beatles songs? Of the Beatles well, discography. That's a really, really tough one. I don't know if I can answer that, honestly, uh, because I, I picked 15, but not necessarily because they were my absolute favorites. More, I, you could probably find it in there, but I'd say it would have to come down to five or 10. Just get me deep, you know. You know, music hits you in different ways. One, She's Leaving Home might get me for my kind of melancholy side, like, this, this is a work of art. If you listen to that song, I purposely didn't do that song, because how do you change that? I, how do you do that differently? You know, unless you have a Bruce Springsteen singer, which would be incredible. But other songs, like Fixing a Hole, I just started hearing sounds around it, and that's why I, I chose it. Very good. Well, Mr. Mayor, thanks so much for this interview. It's been a, a great pleasure to speak to you. If I could ask one final question. Yeah. This broadcast goes out all over the world, much like Beatles fandom. In closing, what would you like to say to all the listeners? I would like to tell them thank you for giving me this job. All those who have heard us and all those who haven't heard us, if you'd like to take a chance on it, we promise, even though we may let you down musically, we will never let you down with the heart at which we approach this because uh, I just have a never-ending love for the role that music has played in my life and also for what the Beatles have brought. And what we really wanted to do with this album was celebrate Beatles music. So if you have a hand in any of that uh, and you want to celebrate Beatles music, I encourage you uh, to, to at least take a listen. Uh, we never, never ask you to like it, but we ask you to take a chance on it. And I'd like to, to just thank you for letting me play music all these years. Thank you so much, Peter. Appreciate it. Great pleasure Thanks, to speak Paul. to you. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour. <laughs>